0: made out to a Mr. Mauds, who I believe is the manager of this hotel, and it states, Dear Mr. Moats, the League of Human Rights of Benign Birth Canada is a national agency that is dedicated to combating racism and bigotry. <laughs> 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 Idiots. What a joke. No, what no, a joke. The League of no. Human Rights for all Canadians. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> improve worse? community relations. The elimination of racial discrimination and anti Semites. The League accomplishes these goals through educational programming, community activity, and the provision of legal legislative action. It has come to our attention that your building will be the venue for a speech by Holocaust denier David Irving this evening. (laughs) Mr. Irving and his sponsoring organization, the Council on Public Affairs, sought your facility after the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education rightfully cancelled his engagement. Their decision was upheld by the Court of Justice Hollingsworth on November 7, 1990. They are referring to the OISI. Mr. Irving is a purveyor of racism and anti-Semitism under the guise of academic discourse. He denies that atrocities perpetrated against Jews by the Nazis during the Second World War ever took place. His statement casts aspiration on the Jewish community. Other purveyors of this ideology have been found guilty for promoting false information hatred. I guess they're referring to Ernst. Mr. Irving's theories are repugnant and emanate from an individual with no historical credentials. After all, he was the one, but yet he was the one who did, who found out that the Hitler diaries were fake, when every other uh, historian around the world, so-called non-historian, claims that they were uh, real. And more than that. Holocaust denial is a vehicle to remove the guilt associated with genocide and as a device to foster the return of Nazism. While we understand that it is difficult for a proprietor to be aware of every notorious hate monger, it is imperative so to join other institutions by categorically denying him a platform to spread his message. Free speech! We want free speech! We want free speech! We
1: want free speech! We want free speech! We want free speech! Valid contract. I signed the contract with my name as David Irving, lecturer. They have requested us to vacate this property, and I now request you to do so. We will reschedule this meeting at the Latvian Hall one hour from now. Those of you who don't know where it is, ask of those of you who do know where it is. And I'm very sorry to have put you to this inconvenience. And I do ask you to leave the hotel quietly. Thank you very much.
2: Well, thanks to the Latvian Club, we finally got a place for. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this gathering of truth seekers. My name is Frank Schmidt. Among other things, I'm the editor of a bilingual paper. Although I'm proud to be of German descent, none of my ancestors have lived in German soil for the past 200 years. So I want you to understand right at the outset, I'm not an apologist for Germany or anything that happened there in the last couple hundred years. During World War II, I volunteered to go on active service with the Canadian Army overseas and spent close to five years to help the freedom and democracy which we have been denied tonight. Yes. In recent years, I have been dismayed and incensed to discover that our so called Charter of Rights and Freedoms is being manipulated by an all-powerful pressure group to further their own nefarious ends. Since it is not enforced, it has been reduced to a meaningless piece of paper, as we saw tonight. In Toronto, we must believe in the Holocaust, or else. (laughs) According to Varsity, Lauren Lord, Lord Shipman of the Bene B'rith said freedom of expression has never been an absolute in Canada. That's news to me, I guess you get it. In other words, there is no right of dissent in this country. Freedom of, of expression will only be accorded those of whom the Bene Brit, an ultra-racist organization, approves. What this man is suggesting is freedom of assembly is at the discretion of the domain birth. That's not the freedom I and other Canadians of my years who fought for in World War II. <laughs> According to a book that issued recently by the City of Toronto, race relations is not preferential treatment, but rather equal treatment. Well, there is equality, where is the equality when one group is denied the rights others enjoy? We saw that tonight. We cannot assemble freely. That's not equality. To my knowledge, no one has ever proven David Irving wrong in anything he has written or said regarding recent history. Why won't they let him speak? Are they afraid of the truth? James Mutz, a former prime minister of South Africa, once said that the 19th century was a century of wrong, to which I might add that the 20th century has been a century of lies. David Irving has given lectures throughout the world and has written more than 20 books to debunk some common myths. But these still persist due to constant media repetition, even after they have been proven to be false. David Irving is not only the most credible historian in the world, but he is also a very courageous man who sticks to his principles no matter what the cost. <laughs> to get the source which is the truth, he has to swim against the stream. When well, the so-called legitimate historians take the easy route by writing the current town street, eventually to disappear into the sea of anonymity, where they belong. <laughs> Their only contribution to mankind has been to distort and falsify history which has caused untold misery and tension between peoples. Right, and Tithon, the Greek philosopher and founder of the Cynic School about 400 B.C., once said, the most useful piece of learning is to unlearn what is untrue. <laughs> I hope that this David Irving, will help you unlearn some untruths tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Let's welcome David Irving to Friendly Toronto. Canada tour.
1: I was hoping in towns across Canada, from Victoria, Vancouver, Alabama, Regina, Prince George, Calvary, Winnipeg, Ottawa a couple of days ago, and now here in Toronto. And my voice is literally on its last legs. But I will do my best to speak to you, although I know that it's going to be more painful for you to listen than for me to speak. <laughs> Please, bear with me because it is quite an important message and we've all come through quite a lot to meet here. <laughs> I mentioned that I agree, without any sense of, of, uh, of warmth, because I understand that this morning they called a, a press conference in Toronto, we don't know about this yet, in which they devoted the press conference to smearing me. So in view of the fact that they decided to smear me and call me a Holocaust denier, I intend to devote the rest of this speech instead of to the case, which was the plan, to their own particular, unfair uh, the Holocaust. And I'm sure that many people here will welcome this decision. <laughs> you see, in the, last, in the last 18 months since I spoke to you last, two major events have happened in the world of history, which make it impossible for anybody to claim that the Holocaust happened in the manner in which the organized Jewish community, the self-appointed representatives of the Jewish community. I use the word self-appointed because this morning in that press conference I was called a self-appointed press, a a self-appointed historian. And I'm not because I'm a historian, I'm a professional historian who hangs or falls by whether my books find credibility in the reading and academic public or not. But anyway, the self-appointed representatives of the Canadian Jewish community have decided that the Holocaust involves the death of six million people in Adolf Hitler's cash chambers. And if anybody comes along and challenges any single aspect of that legend, and I'm not going to call it a lie, it's a legend, because millions of people believe it in perfectly good faith. It's like religion. If anybody challenges that, then he is open to intimidation, violation of contracts. He's fair game the laws of Canada suddenly no longer applying the basic charges of human rights and free speech, these can be suspended and abrogated because something more precious than the Charter of Human Rights and Freedom of Speech is at, is at stake, namely the integrity of the Holocaust in which we all believe. How has this legend been propagated until now? Well, the legend was originally propagated, I think, by us British back in 1942. And I set out the reasons for believing this in my previous talk 18 months ago. But since 1945, the legend has marched on. This is a great sad facet of war. In wartime, quite justifiably, the the warring factions and powers decide to use propaganda. They lie about each other. They lie massively. And you're not going to believe this, ladies and gentlemen, but you're going to find your own governments lying to you about the Gulf crisis. (laughs) They lie to you as soon as wars break out. And the lying continues because there's a ministry of propaganda on one side and a ministry of information on the other. And when the victory day comes, these ministries of lies are not replaced by ministries of truth. So the old propaganda continues to march on, and nobody really has the job of stopping these lies from flooding out. Particularly when some people find they have a vested interest in keeping the lies spewing forth. In For this particular case, I quote the chief rabbi I have written, Lord Jacobowitz, who personally said a couple of years back in a press interview that he thought that the Holocaust had now become big business. Big business with massive profits to be made by film studios, movie houses, television companies, script writers, publishers, and the like And that is the chief rabbi Lord Jacobus who said that. So people do have a vested interest, and I'm not saying it's the whole Jewish community in Canada or worldwide, but certain elements of that community, and people who aren't Jewish too, I'm not saying that the entire media are Jewish, of course they're not. This is a would be a totally phony myth, but they also profit from continuing the Holocaust myth, Holocaust legend, and so big bucks are involved in preventing anybody from standing up and saying, "Oh, wait a minute, the archives have produced a couple of documents which show you're talking." Well, put it politely, you're talking through your hat. I could be less polite. But, I mean, that's a, that's the point. You the presence of strangers here, even we put it like that. So the lie starts to march, and the lie continues to militate against the truth, and in this case, not just against the truth, it militates against one particular people, the German people. And in doing so, ladies and gentlemen, this is really why I, as an Englishman here, the line militates not just against the German people, it militates against the European people because, by implication, Europeans were capable of doing this to minorities. They were capable of putting 6 million people in the gas chambers and liquidating them. And after a time, after 50 years, the distinction begins to blur. No longer is the claim for compensation only against West Germany and East Germany, but suddenly the suggestion is being voiced that the French ought to pay a bit too. And what about the Norwegians, and how about the Swedes? Because the money at the old coffers is beginning to run dry and the Germans are waking up. They're not put up with it much longer, particularly now they find they've been asked to pay for six liters of milk and they've only got two in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> so they're beginning to look for other people in the European race. So it's turned almost into a racial issue the white Europeans who did this to the Jews, and therefore the white Europeans are, is a kind of collective guilt which is now spinning out onto all of us. And that nonsense has got to stop now. And I'm glad to say that the Archives made it possible to do so. So there we are, with this gigantic legend cruising around the ocean of history for the last 45 years. What I call the battleship Auschwitz. <laughs> the major capital ship of our opponents is out there, cruising the oceans with a seemingly inexhaustible supply of fuel and ammunition. <coughs> and it cruising the oceans are like the battleship Turfitz in, in 1941 and 1942. And by its very existence, it intimidated people. I think mean, we've seen it intimidate people tonight, not just little measly hotel owners. We've seen this battleship Auschwitz intimidate the entire RCMP here in Toronto. Since so they not only ordered me to stop the meeting in the other hall, but they then phoned ahead to this, meet, this meeting place and tried to stop it here too. You see, this is the worst kind of censorship that exists in a free society, ladies and gentlemen. Not the censorship where a guy puts a blue pencil, pencil through a paragraph of what you've written in the newspaper and says, oi, I'm not going to let you write that because it's uh, libelous or defamatory or injures the blacks or the whites or the Indians. It's the worst and most insidious kind of censorship, which is self-censorship. When a journalist decides, before even writing those lines, I'm not going to write it because it may get me in deep trouble with the editor. It's the kind of censorship nobody sees. And we've seen the kind of self-censorship exercised here by the RCMP this evening. They were anticipating trouble, they were anticipating questions from Mrs. Shirley made who in the House of Commons and all the rest of it. And to avoid any trouble, they exercised the kind of society self censorship by phoning ahead to try and stop me speaking anywhere. So in this battleship ship, Auschwitz has been out there for 45 years, intimidating people, and I say, ladies and gentlemen, our job here tonight, not just as historians, but as members of the public, is to remember what Winston Churchill said in 1942, and to emulate his words and say, Take the Auschwitz. I should have warned you I get to be very tasteless this evening, but he has far more tasteless than this. (laughs) Why should should we be considerate about people who have lied to hundreds of millions of people for 45 years? Mm -hmm. Well-meaning, sincere, well-intentioned people like those young Jewish teenagers who are outside the Lakeshore Inn, have been taken in by their elders and betters and teachers into believing something which I am going to prove to you this evening, ladies and gentlemen, is totally untrue. And if some teacher came and told my four children something which was completely untrue and persuaded them to believe it for 20 or 30 years and actually to go and demonstrate for their cause, these teenagers, standing outside a hotel in the cold and possibly getting involved in all sorts of unpleasantness, then I would be damned unhappy about it. And I think it's time that the responsible Jewish community, who I'm sure do not want to live a lie one day longer than is absolutely necessary. It's time for them to start raising questions of their own self-appointed leaders and say, wait a minute, David Irving isn't just anybody, he didn't just fall off a turnip truck, you know. If he says this, then it's possibly true, And we're going to have to face up to the fact, just as we had to face up to the fact in the 1920s, that the Germans hadn't gone around hacking off Belgian babies' hands in World War I, the British government and the Belgian government finally apologized to the Germans for having spread this propaganda lie <coughs> in 1920 in a formal statement in the British Houses of Parliament. So it's possible that sooner or later an apology is going to have to be made to the German people for having vilified them with their monstrous atrocity, which never in fact took place. So let me make quite plain what did take place. So that nobody can walk out of this whole article and say David Irving is a Holocaust denier. What is quite definitely clear in my own mind is that there were instances where individual Nazis and others, particularly in the Baltic countries and in occupied Russia, did massacre Jews thousands at a time. The machine gunned them into open pits and graves. I've seen documents which, although they may not convince you, ladies and gentlemen, they convince me and I'm quite prepared to debate with you, individually or separately or afterwards for in years to come, whether these episodes happened or not. I believe that these grim crimes, individual atrocities, Uh, executed by individual Germans, not acting in the name of the German people or in the name of the German Fuhrer, but acting on their own criminal instincts. These individual crimes did happen. And I can tell you later on the kind of evidence there is for these individual crimes, which are crimes on the order of thousands at a time, as I repeated before, not millions. So something did happen, but what I can say with equal firmness is, you can sum up my case on the Holocaust in the following nutshell. More people died on the back seat of Senator Edward Kennedy's motor car in Chappaquiddick than died in the gas chamber
2: in Auschwitz. Oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i going to be tasteless my ladies and gentlemen. but I think we've all paid the price. We can afford to enjoy a little bit of, t- a little bit of tastelessness about this absurd legend. So what is the evidence that enables me to stand up here and speak with such firmness to an audience here and risk not only life and limb, but above all risk my reputation, because it's quite plain to me that by standing and talking here in Canada and other countries around the world for two or three or four years, my name is going to be mud. I'm going to have organized, well-paid, well-financed slime poured over me from on high, and I'm going to find the TV stations around the world are banned to me, like the Vancouver TV station that hired me, that asked me to go and speak, and, uh, take part in an interview of ten days ago, and then came under massive pressure from guess who? <laughs> <laughs> Canadian Jewish News last week, and you'll see how they proudly report how they brought pressure there on this Vancouver TV station to cancel the interview, and I quote, they complied. <laughs> Save those words, roll them around your lips, ladies and gentlemen, the taste of those words. The Canadian Jewish News reporting how they brought pressure to bear on an independent TV station in Vancouver that had the effrontery to invite me to an interview. We brought pressure on them to cancel the interview. They complied. They complied. Words spoken from on high. So what is it that they're so frightened about? Why didn't they want me to speak even to 50 people in British Columbia and Prince George, little sleepy olive? Well, the answer is this. These Soviet archives have now released the, arch- the documents on Auschwitz. So we know what happened. We know how many people died. And nothing, this, ladies and gentlemen, get a look at this. The British Secret Service has now admitted that in its archives it has all the secret messages sent by the commandant of Auschwitz back to Berlin every day from 1942 to 1943. We were decoding these messages and reading them. How about that? There is no room open for argument anymore. Let me tell you in a minute what these messages actually say, what these documents say. These things have turned up, I repeat, since I was in Toronto 18 months ago. This is why the people don't want me to speak here in Canada, telling you just about these two single facts. Because when you leave here this evening, ladies and gentlemen, speak with your friends, you can say, i heard two most extraordinary things. I heard that on September the 21st, last year, 1989, President Gorbachev was part of his glasnost, I think, personally, as part of his overtures to, to the German people, bear that in mind, yeah. he announced that his archives, an unnamed archives, I think it was the archives of the KGB, had found the death books of Auschwitz. Yeah. Not only that, they found the index cards of all the prisoners who had been in Auschwitz. And alone that fact, that they had the index cards of all the prisoners who had been in Auschwitz, <laughs> sent a shudder round the organised Jewish community of the world. Because wow. hitherto, of course, there has been an inexhaustible supply of Auschwitz survivors. The cruise ship Holocaust, which has taken the oceans after the Battle of Auschwitz. This massive cruise ship with luxury walls, to wall fitted carpets and a crew of thousands. This cruise ship Holocaust, which has marine terminals established now in virtually every capital of the world, disguised as Holocaust Memorial museums. the one in Washington DC alone is costing $146 million to build. How am I? money indeed. Hundred and forty six million dollars. The cruise ship, all of course, where will this story what where will its crew be? Where will the Auschwitz survivors be? Now the factors come out with the index card lists all the have passed through the gates of Auschwitz Arbeit Mark yeah. who they were. Suddenly a lot of people aren't claiming to be Auschwitz survivors anymore. <laughs> e. Rai so. for one, for example, it was always a <laughs> bit uncertain whether whether it was Auschwitz had been in or Daher or Hugundala. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, a, a it a photograph on which he identifies himself as being a prisoner, in a, a photograph of various prisoners in a, in, a, in a bunkhouse in a barracks in the concentration camp in Buchenwald, And he says, yes, that's me. But it turns out that photograph was in Auschwitz. And he says, oh, yes, I meant Auschwitz. I mean, what can we do about these people? Uh, Poor Mr. Weasel, I mean, it's terribly bad luck to be called a weasel, but that's no excuse. I mean, these people do have a bad time. They have a very, very hard time. And I do want to speak a few words of sympathy. for all in life. I mean, on, on Halloween's night, for example, or St. Heesenthal's night, as they call them. <laughs> So they have had a very, very bad time, and it's going to get tougher now that people are going to challenge them as to whether they really were in Auschwitz or not, because we now know exactly who was and who wasn't. And they've gone to immense troubles, ladies and gentlemen, even the ones who've got tattoo marks on their arms. So the experts can look at a tattoo and say, oh yes, 181,219, that means you entered Auschwitz in March 1943. So if you want to go and have a tattoo put on your arms, a lot of them do, I'm afraid to say, and claim subsequently that drew in Auschwitz, you've got to make sure A, that it fits in with the month you said you went to Auschwitz, and B that it's not a number that anybody's used before. (laughs) (laughs) So there are actual kind of train spotter guides of numbers that have been used already. And the whole of that hoax is now going to collapse because Russians have released the index cards. And the second hoax that collapses is the four million legends. The legend the four million Jews died in Auschwitz, to which of course the communist authorities in Auschwitz, headed by Kazimierz Smolen, who was sat a year ago, had erected a memorial in Auschwitz in many, many languages. In fact, a memorial to the four million dead at Auschwitz, written, inscribed in every language of the prisoners who had passed through the gates of that terrible slave labor camp. There's no denying that Auschwitz was a terrible slave labor camp. But That monument has now been dismantled quietly and furtively 30 of away. The new head of the archives in Auschwitz, the new head of the museum, a man called Dr. Frantichek Pieper, Dr. Frantichek Pieper, P-I-P-E-R, has announced that that four million figure was alive and he wasn't going to have a memorial kept on the grounds of his, his memorial site any longer. They haven't erected a new figure, a new monument yet, because they're still squabbling over a figure. <laughs> <laughs> they ventilated the idea of what about one million? And they asked the German historians and the German press agency, asked the German historians, and the German historians rapidly went down on Wendidie and said, oh yes, wir sind immer davon ausgegangen, dass es sich von einem <laughs> 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 Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, we always assumed it was one billion. But they never said so in public in case they lost their university chairs, all their jobs, all their pensions, all their careers, and I can tell you one tragic case involving the Lieutenant Commander in the German Navy, who was a Lieutenant Commander in the German Navy until four weeks ago a man called Lieutenant Commander Pole, And he had the misfortune to be posted with his crew to the United States for a year, to Virginia, where he rented a house. And he frequently had American crew officers round to cocktail parties and barbecues. And one evening in the privacy of his home, Lieutenant Commander Pole, you won't read this in the newspaper because it's a court
2: martial case which isn't reported.